Alright, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Now, if you were with us last week, you'll know this is the same passage we ended up with, except I've added two verses, and you'll see at the end why. But I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David as, as was said before, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Now for those that are listening right now online, again, don't panic. We are not, you haven't hit the wrong button. You're not, sometimes when people listen online, they'll think, and they hear the same passage, they'll think, whoops, this is the one from last week this is actually a, this is you're on the right week we're going to be looking at this this section again where we left off yes uh, last week but there's a couple of things in here that that last last time we met that I told you I wanted to touch on but we would save it for today and so what what, what is this is I want you to take a look at verses uh, two and six look at what it says in verses two and six it says for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Then we also see in verse 6, it still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. The, The question is, when did they have the gospel preached to them? Here it's saying we've had the gospel preached to them just like they had the gospel preached to them. And so in order to to really understand this this question or to answer this question, we've got to start dealing with the context of what's going on here and first answer the question, who's the they that the Hebrew writer is referring to? Again, verse 2, For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. Well, who's the they that he's talking about? And so what I want you to do is we're going to take a look back at chapter 3, verses 13, I'm sorry, 16 through 19. All right, look at chapter 3 of Hebrews. It says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he, God, angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. 
Now we can see clearly though that in the context, the they that he's referring to is the group of Israelites who have been brought out of Egypt, brought to the border of the promised land. God said, I'm going to give you the land. They unfortunately sent some spies out to go examine it. The spies came back and most of them, except two, said, we can't do this. There's just no way. And they chickened out. And then God said, they shall not ever enter my rest. Now, so the they is referring to the nation of Israel back at the time when they were to enter the promised land the first time and they weren't able to go in. I I want you to see it a little bit more clearly. Put a bookmark here. Go to Numbers chapter 14. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 through 23, you'll see God say, well, they're not going to be able to go in now. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 through 23, last week we looked at verses 17, uh, actually chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. We're going to look at verses 20 through 23 now. It says, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them, because Moses had asked for God. Remember, God was going to wipe them out and just kill them all there. And Moses said, that wouldn't look good for you. And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. So, the people that were brought to the border of, of the promised land, land of Canaan, and they did not believe God, were not able to enter into the land. Now, last time when we met, we looked, though, that the rest is something different from just entering the promised land, because as we see here in chapter 4, there's still a promise to enter the rest. If Joshua had given them rest, and remember Joshua eventually took the nation of Israel in, those, after all those people had died in the wilderness who didn't believe God, and Joshua took them into the promised land. If that was all it was talking about, there wouldn't be an offer of rest for us today. So the rest, as we looked at last week, is actually something besides the promised land. And then Hebrew writer says here, they, we have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. So the question now is, okay, we know who the they is. The they is the nation of Israel at the time of entering the promised land. But when, when did they have the gospel preached to them? And in what form? And so what we're going to do now is we're going to take a little detour here from Hebrews. And we're going to go take a look at the fact that the gospel was preached. And we're actually going to do a long study tonight. We're going to be, that's why we're only going to add two more verses to the section we've already looked at. I want you to walk with me now to actually have... By the, God opening your eyes to the power of His Word and all. I want to have you to see that this gospel of salvation through faith in God, through Jesus Christ, has actually been preached throughout all the Bible, not just in the New Testament. Now granted, you're going to see, it was a little bit more veiled than it is on this side of the cross. We have a lot more insight, a lot more of God revealing things, but we're going to see as we take a look of a lot of scriptures now, that God has been preaching this message of trusting in Him and His provision, and He will give you righteousness by your faith that has been preached from the beginning. So I want you to see where they had the gospel preached to them. Now, I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, and then we're going to go to Exodus chapter 23. Now, if you have pieces of paper, please write these verses down because you're going to want to go and look at them a lot more later on and chew on them. Uh, For the sake of our time, we're going to need to kind of keep moving. 
In chapter 19, verse 3, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Here God says, I've got a plan for you and you're in the nation of Israel, and I want you to obey me, and I want you to understand that I've got a plan, and I want you to trust me. Go over to chapter 23 of Exodus, and it gets even more clear. In chapter 23, verses 20 through 33, God says, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Doesn't that sound familiar? Remember what Jesus said? I prepare a place for you and I'm come back and get you so you can be with me where I am. I love that. Pay attention to Him and listen to what He says. Do not rebel against Him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God, and His blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year, because the land would become too desolate and wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Now here we see God promising to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land and to be the one who provides for them the victory, defeat of their enemies, and the rest in the place that God has prepared for them. And if you look closely, you'll see that a big part of the gospel or the good news is believing that God will do what He he has said He will do and that He is the only one who can carry it out. Now again, I'm going to lay this foundation for you. Uh, uh, Remember, they heard that they had the gospel or the good news preached to them. And the good news or the gospel that we know more fully now through Jesus Christ was at this point at least, God said... If I will be your God and you will trust that I will provide for you, I will be the one who takes you to be with me. Alright? We'll just leave it at that for now. But we just keep in mind, the, the beginning basics of the gospel is believing that God will do what He has said He will do and that He is the only one who can do it. Remember in here, he says, hey, don't worship other gods. Don't invite those people to come into your land. They're going to be a snare to you. I want to be the only one. 
And you need to trust that I'm able to do what I said I'll do. Now, we see a picture of that in Genesis chapter 15. Go to Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. Now remember, at this point, God has already said to Abram, come to a land that I'll show you. I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. And all the world will be blessed through you. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, of course, at this point now, it's been a few years. He still had no descendants. He and Sarah have not been able to have a child. And at chapter 15, look at verse 1. Look at what God says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Do you see it? big part of the gospel is believing that God is the only one who will do what you need. Alright, now but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, who, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he, God, credited it to him as righteousness. Do you see it? Now, what did Abraham believe? That God gave him righteousness. What? He believed what God said. God said, no, it's going to be a child from your own body. And not only is it going to be a child from your own body, you're going to have so many descendants, it'll be more than the stars. If you could even count them. And you've got to understand, this is back in the day before lights. Alright? Nowadays, if we want to go and see the stars, we go somewhere, which is hard to do, where there's no man-made light. This is back in the day when there was no man-made light, for the, per, per se. And he could count a lot of stars. And God said, you'll have more descendants than that. And Abraham... Believed him. And God said, I'm giving you righteousness. You've been given righteousness because you believed that I would do what I said I would do. Now, you say, well, Jim, are you sure that that means Abraham was going to heaven because of that? Not only am I sure of it, the Bible says it. Go to Romans chapter 3. You'll see what I'm talking about. In Romans chapter 3, we're going to read a long section here. In Romans 3, verses 21 through chapter 4, 25. Alright, so Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to start. Paul takes this situation we just read about and he uses it as a wonderful teaching opportunity to talk about this message of salvation that he's preaching and how it's been around all along. In Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, look what it says. Paul says, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that observing the law? No, but on that of faith. 
For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter. If in fact Abraham was justified by works or what he did, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here he quotes from Genesis 15.6. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked... His faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And that's Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 that he quotes from there that David wrote about. He says, "Is is this blessedness only for the circumcised or the Jew or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? The answer to that question is it was not after, but before he was circumcised. Chapter 15 is when he's given righteousness. He's not circumcised until he's in chapter 17. Alright? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he's the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of faith, of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. He said it's not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead, and calls things that are not as though they were. Look closely. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him was written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Folks, so what I want you to understand, and we're going to go into this some more, but I want you to understand is the gospel has always been that if you would believe that God would do what He said He would do, God 
when He knows that you're fully trusting in Him to provide and for Him to do what He said He would do, He gives righteousness. Now, the Bible is very clear. All of this has been taken care of through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, who is over time and outside of time, has seen from the beginning and the end, if you will, of time, that Jesus would cover the sins of all mankind. And because of that, He was able to give righteousness to people prior to Jesus Christ, if you will, or at least prior to the cross, because He knew that Jesus' death would cover the sins of mankind. But righteousness was given when the people of the Old Testament and the New fully believed that God would do what He said He would do, and they were fully trusting in Him and Him alone and in nothing else. And that's very important. Trusting in Him and Him alone and nothing else. And that's where the gospel had begun to be preached. The nation of Israel, God said, I will do this. I will go ahead of you. I will provide. And did they believe that He would? No. They looked at it with human eyes. And that's why in the parable of the soils, Jesus even says the seed of the word will go out and it will land on the hard path and the birds will come and take it away. There will be some that hear the message and they don't even respond at all. But there will be others. The seed falls on the rocky soil and it will spring up. And these people will respond in a sense, but it's not real salvation because over time, because of trouble or persecution or God not doing things the way we would have Him do it, that shows that they really don't have real salvation. They haven't fully put all their eggs in one basket, if you will, in the full trust of Jesus or full trust of God to do what He said He would do. And because of trouble, they question whether or not God's able to really save them. They question whether or not He's worth it, and they walk away. The Bible says some seed falls on the thorny soil. And these, again, people that look like they respond to the message of the Gospel, but the cares of this world, the deceitness of wealth choke them, and they have no root and they fall away. And that's why the Bible says the ones who stand firm to the end are the ones who truly have totally trusted that God is going to do what He said He was going to do. I'm going to ask you a simple question. After you trusted Christ, did your life get easier? Of course not. The Bible doesn't promise that it would get easier. The Bible promises that God would get you through it and that God will finish what He started. But those of us who truly, truly have put our full faith, as it talked about Abraham here, I love how it's described, I love it. He says this, He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in His faith, and He gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what He had promised. If you remember back when the spies went into into the land of Canaan and they came back and they're all saying, oh, they're too big and they're giants and all this kind of stuff and we're going to be killed. Caleb and Joshua, what did they say? Yeah, they're big. But God said that He would do it. Where was their faith? In their ability to defeat the giants? No. In the fact that God said He would do something. Now, I want to chase a quick rabbit. And it's worth chasing. Alright? So I'm going to chase a quick rabbit. Because there was something back in that passage in Exodus that God said to the nation of Israel in chapter 23 that I don't want you to miss. It's going to be a help for some of you right now. Go back to Exodus chapter 23 and then we'll get back onto what we've been looking at here. But go to Exodus chapter 23. There's something in the promise of God to the nation of Israel that it'll be, it will be a help for us today. And I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to be this close to it and not deal with it. Look at what God says in verses 27 and following. 
Remember how God said He's going to drive the nations out ahead of them. Look what He says in verse 27. He says, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, Hittites out of your way. But look closely at what He says. I'm not going to do it in a single year. I'm not going to do it all at once. I have a reason for why I'm not going to do it all at once. Because if I did it all at once, the land would become desolate and the wild animals would become too numerous for you. So little by little, I'm going to drive them out before you until you've increased enough to take possession of the land. Isn't that interesting? In other words, he said, I'm going to leave some of these nations that I'm going to drive out. I'm leaving them there to keep the wild animals down. That's the only reason they're sticking around. Their time's coming, and I'm actually just using them to fight off the wild animals for you. But when it's time, then I'm going to wipe them out ahead of you. But listen to what God is saying to us. Because a lot of us in, our, in this day and age of, man, God, why don't you just do it? Listen to me. He knows what's best. Now, if I were to ask you that question, does He know what's best? You would say, well, yeah. Do you really believe it? Because there are times we'd say, God, come on. Why did that happen? And he says, I know what's best. For those of you that heard me preach on Sunday at First Baptist in the Atlantic, and I preached from, uh, from Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 on, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. There's a whole section of that passage I didn't have time to get into, but it's best that he hides things. There are things he knows that we don't, and it's to his glory that he doesn't tell us. We're not going to turn there, but in Exodus chapter 13, the God takes the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and instead of going the direct route to where He wants to bring them, He takes them the wound, wound up, wound, can I say it, roundabout route. And back in Exodus chapter 13, you'll see it. God says, "I would have done it the shorter way, but they would have gone through the Philistine land, and I knew that if they..." had faced war immediately as coming out as slaves. If they had faced war, they would have turned right around and gone back to Egypt. And so I did the longer route because they weren't ready. Oh, the Bible says that the nation of Israel left Egypt back, you know, dressed for war, dressed for battle. But he knew they weren't ready for battle. And so God took the long way because he knew if they went the short way, they wouldn't have been able to handle it and they would have turned around. Listen to me. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's easy to say, hard to do. But I feel like I need to reinforce this to you. If you really believe that He is a God who knows and loves you and has what's best for you, and He, he, he can't do anything wrong, there are a lot of times He doesn't do it as fast as we would like. He doesn't take the short route. He doesn't wipe them out in a year. Why? Because He knows why it's best for us. Just trust Him. I don't understand why he's doing this, but I know this much, it's for my best. Hurts like the Dickens, scares me to death, but I know this much because of who he is, it's for my best. And you've got to burn that into your brain. And against all hope, you keep hoping. Being fully persuaded that God is able to do what He said He would do. But part of the reason why many of us as Christians today have not really learned to learn this is, many of us have thought, because we've been taught this, because we've been taught law instead of grace in the church, we've been taught that if God is silent or God's not coming through, it might be because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Now, we've got a bigger God than that. He's not mad. He's not going to punish you. He's shaping. And He's working on... His plan and His purpose 
Don't think, well, this isn't happening because God's mad at me. You've got to get that out of your head, folks. He fully poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ. You're His child, and He loves you, and He's going to do what's best for you. Keep going forward in faith, believing that He knows why it's taken longer than he thought, we thought or would like it to be. Alright? Hopefully that rabbit was worth chasing. Go back now at Romans chapter 3. Actually, keep a bookmark though in chapter 23 here of Exodus. Keep a bookmark so we're going to come back to it. Go with me back to Romans chapter 3 verse 21. There's something that Paul said there that we're going to now go down that road of chasing. Romans chapter 3 verse 21. He's just talked about this, this righteousness now that comes through faith apart from the law. He said, it's been made known, but he says this, to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, um, the, the law and the prophets has been talking about this faith, uh, righteousness by faith all along. In other words, this is not something new. This isn't a different religion, if you will, or a different faith. This is the same faith that God's been talking about from the beginning. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, you'll see it even more clearly. Look at Romans 1, look at 1 through 6. Paul describes himself this way. He says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Look at this, regarding his son. Do you see it? We can get another picture now. Not only has the gospel been believing that God will do what he said he would do, but the Bible also says here that this gospel has been preached beforehand and it's always regarded his son. Now again, it's been veiled, but it has always been pointing to Jesus, who as to human nature was descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God, by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through Him and for His namesake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I want you to see that again. Verse 2, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. Go to Titus chapter 1. If you're not sure where Titus is, it's just before Hebrews there. you got Philemon, and right before Philemon is Titus. Go to Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A faith and a knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised, look at this now, before the beginning of time. And not only was it had been preached by the law and the prophets, God promised this before the beginning of time, that there would be of faith or righteousness from God. Look at what it says. Promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. How about that? This gospel that we understand more fully in the New Testament has actually been proclaimed. God planned it before the beginning of time. Go back one book, 2 Timothy, right before Titus, 2 Timothy. Go to chapter 1. Look at verses 8 through 12. Paul says, Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. 
But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Folks, what I want you to understand is, is that before the creation of the world, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, that God had planned that salvation and righteousness would come by faith through Jesus Christ. Of course, there was no clearer revelation of who Jesus was and His death on the cross for the people who were in the Old Testament. But they were to believe that God would do what He said He would do and their faith was in His provision, which by the way you're about to see, the Scriptures had said all along from Genesis chapter 3 right on through that God was going to provide an individual who was going to be the one who would take care of their sin and their faith was to be in God's provision of this one. Now, the people in the Old Testament did not know who this one was. But they knew this much. God, you said you'd do it. And you said you'd provide this one. I'm looking forward to this one. And I'm trusting in you and this one. We don't know who he is yet, but we're trusting in him. And that's why you're going to see later in our study of Hebrews, when we get to chapter 11, they didn't fully receive what was promised, but God was waiting for all of us together to fully receive what God has for us. Alright? And, and so just going to leave it at that for now. And so back in Genesis chapter 3, remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And God gives what we call the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, in chapter 3, verse 15, where it talks about, you know, Satan will strike his heel and he will crush your head. Remember, it's the seed of the woman. That was the beginning of the preaching of the fact that there was going to be this one from God who God would provide to defeat Satan. And all along, there was this little by little, another picture here, another picture there. And one thing that most people did not understand was actually this Jesus, who was going to take on flesh at the appointed time, actually had been appearing on the earth, and they didn't even know it. And I'm going to show you from a passage we just read that He was there in Exodus chapter 23. Go back to Exodus 23. I told you to put a bookmark and I didn't do it. In Exodus chapter 23, look closely again at verses 20 and 21. It says, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you all along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him. And listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. Do you see it? That's chapter 23, verses 20 and 21. In verse 23, my angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites and Hittites and so on. Then he says in verse 25, worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water and I'll take away sickness and so on. But hear what he says. He says, I'm going to send my angel ahead of you. Oh, but this is not just any angel. My name is in him. Now remember, when when Moses asked God in Exodus chapter 3, What's your name? What did God say? I am. Now you say, Jim, are you sure this angel really could be God himself or Jesus before he took on flesh? Well, let me show you an example of that in Genesis 16. There are many 
many uh, theophanies they're called, uh, places where God Himself, Jesus actually showed up on the earth before He took on flesh, but He appeared and accomplished purposes that God had. And take a look at Genesis chapter 16. You'll see one here in the situation where Abraham and Sarah have unfortunately uh, uh, slept, had Abraham slept, sleep with Hagar and make Ishmael. And uh, uh, Hagar is pregnant now and she runs because Sarah now when she finds out Hagar is pregnant doesn't treat her real good, sends her out. And in chapter 16, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? By the way, doesn't that sound like God in the garden, doesn't it? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will, also, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And we're not even going to go down the road of this prophecy being fulfilled today. Uh, but look at what happens next in verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Now typically when someone tries to worship an angel, we see it in the book of Revelation, and the angel is just an angel and not God himself, what do the angels do? They say, get up, don't worship me, worship God. But this angel of the Lord is God himself. A pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Himself. When I say pre-incarnate, it just simply means before He took on flesh. The Bible says that God said in the beginning, let us make man in our image. God has been the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all along. This plan has been before the creation of the world. And every now and then, there will be another glimpse and another added piece to the puzzle, a piece of the picture of the fact that God, if you will trust that I will do what I'll say I will do, I will give you righteousness. But you have to not just trust that I'll do this. Your faith has to be fully in me. Not mixed with, well, I believe in God, but I also believe in this, and I also do this, or I believe in God, and I'm also trying to do my good stuff too. Your faith has to have been in His provision and Him alone. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 2, and I want you to see it, in Romans chapter 2. He just dealt with, in Romans chapter 1, how everyone's without excuse. God's revealed His, His divine nature and His eternal qualities through what's been created, so that everybody's without excuse. And then he says in chapter 2, Find it for you real quick here. In chapter 2, verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. In other words, not everybody hears the law of God in the in Ten Commandments, if you will. But all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. And you've heard me talk about this before. Whether you've heard the law of God or not, every one of us is born with a sense of right and wrong. 
Everybody. Now what you consider right and wrong might be different from what I consider right and wrong, but everybody in the whole world has a sense of right and wrong. And, the, and, and I can ask everybody in the world, have you ever gone against what you sensed was right and wrong? And of course everybody, if they're honest, would say, well, yeah. Well, God, whether you've ever heard the law of God or not, has shown you you're a lawbreaker by putting a law in your heart and then you've gone against it. Now look at what Paul goes on to say next. We'll read verse 14. Indeed, when Gentiles do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them, will defending them. This will take place, listen, on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. As we deal with the fact that in the Old Testament, God gave righteousness for those, to those who believed that He said he, he would do what He said He would do, and they put their full faith in Him. Some could say, well, there's people that believe in God. Isn't that enough? Well, let me just say to you, on this side of the cross, it is extremely clear that the only way is what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And here it even says, God will judge everyone, Old Testament, New Testament, through Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's been God's plan from before the beginning of time. I word it to you this way. All along, even before there was time, God has planned to give rest and righteousness to those who would trust in Him and His provision to cover our sins. All along, there have been clues as to the fact that God would provide Himself as our protector, provider, and Savior. We're living on the side of the cross that brings much more clarity to all that God has been doing and has done. Yet, the only way those who formerly had the gospel preached to them could enter God's rest was through belief and faith. It is still the same today. We enter God's rest through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And now we get back to Hebrews chapter 4 and those two verses that I added to this section that we looked at last week. And I want you to see that a very famous passage which has been quoted for many years in context is tied to what we just looked at. You see, convincing people of this truth is not our job. That's God's job through His Word. Look closely now. And where we've just read in chapter 4 of Hebrews, how the Hebrew writer is saying, there is still the rest that is offered. And don't harden your hearts. Don't miss out on this rest that God is still offering. And then he says in verse 9 of chapter 4, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from His. Now let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Why? For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Now folks, you could take that passage by itself, verses 12 and 13, and use it by itself. Please don't hear me say that that's wrong. But I want you to see how important it is that these two verses are tied into what's just been said. What he's been saying is this. There's an offer. God's offer of rest is still there. Don't fall short of it. And because God's word is powerful enough 
That's enough to get this message across and to get people saved. I really want you to hear this because I'm gonna. In the time that we have left, I want to just take a few minutes here and just kind of show you a couple of scriptures and hammer this home. Because one of the things that's happening in the church today is we don't really believe that God's Word is able to do what needs to be done. Listen to what it says. God's Word is living. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. God's Word penetrates even the dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. God's Word judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. In other words, the Hebrew writer is saying this. Look, God has been saying this all along. His Word has been proclaiming this all along. And His Word is powerful enough to get his stuff done. But in the church today, we think his word needs help. We think his word is not really applicable or relevant. In many of our churches, what will happen is you'll have a person come up, maybe read a verse, close the Bible, and give a talk. It's the Word of God which convicts people. It's the Word of God which opens people's eyes. I'm so glad there's a room full of people here and people listening online who are here with a hunger to study, to die, because the Word of God is the only thing, listen, the only thing that's really going to affect people's lives eternally. You don't need a better band. You don't need fireworks. You need a powerful proclamation of the truth of the Word of God. Someone who's able or people who are able to teach it and to preach it without apology, in love, but believe that the Word is powerful enough by itself. Don't fall prey to the mindset of the world today which does not hold a high view of God's Word and the power of God to do what He said He would do and that they think He needs help. The way that we're acting in our churches today show that we really don't believe that God's Word is able to do it Himself. Now, I'm going to take you to a very famous passage. It's in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, we're just going to go to the very end of the story in verses 27 through 31. In Luke 16... Verses 27 through 31. You remember the rich man was buried. He awoke in Hades and he's in the torment and the flame. Lazarus had died and was carried by angels into the presence of God. Uh, Of course, the rich man sees Lazarus and he says, Hey, tell him to go dip his finger in water and come cool my tongue. What a wonderful change of heart he had, hadn't he? You know? And, And then God says, No, there's a chasm between the two. You can't pass back and forth. Anybody told you there's a purgatory, don't believe them. The Bible's very clear. There's a chasm, there's no passing back and forth. At the same time, then he says this. The rich man says, well, tell Lazarus to go back, have Lazarus go back and warn my brothers. And this is what happens in verse 27. He says, he answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Do you see it? There's a picture of what Jesus was going to do and they didn't believe. And at the same time, God says through Abraham here, The Word word of God's enough. If they don't believe from the Word of God, they're not going to believe. Not because you did a song and dance, not because you convinced them with your, 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 your articulate way of communicating something. The Word of God is the only thing that's going to open their eyes. Nothing else. 
And I want to wrap up with one last verse. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah, God says, as the rain, chapter 55, verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What's that? That's right. Back when Chris was doing the, the, the introduction. You're, you're dating yourself to the fact that you remember that. That's, that's a while ago. So. so, Jim, do I understand this, that when, then when you die, your spirit goes... Either into the presence of God or into a place called Hades until the final, final judgment at the great white throne where all those who in Hades, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and following say, those who are in Hades are going to come up, stand before God. One last time, he's going to judge them according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Their names aren't in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And then they'll be cast eternally into the lake of fire. Hades is a place of fiery torment until then. Those who die in Christ, whose sins have been forgiven, have been given righteousness, go right into the presence of God. And there is no... That's paradise. That's why Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. There is no in-between. There is either torment for eternity or the presence of God for eternity. But folks, what I want you to understand, in the context of Hebrews 4, when God says that His Word is living and active and sharper, it's in the context of the Hebrew writer saying, everything that you need to believe is all right here in this book. They had the Gospel preached to them just like we have. They didn't mix it with belief. And they didn't believe God, and they doubted, they disobeyed Him, and they missed out on the rest. Don't harden your hearts. Believe this book. It will do what it needs to be what needs to be done. And folks, as you share the gospel, don't think that if you word it a certain way, they'll get it. Just tell them what the book says and let them read it for themselves and trust that God's word is able to do what it needs to be done. It takes the pressure off of you. Takes the pressure off you. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you for this chance to study your word. Thank you for those that are coming who desire to hear your word. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you've you've blessed me with this, this gift to be able to teach it. But Lord, at the same time, I know that it's not because I've got any insight. It's just you have put your word in my heart and you have it come out of my mouth. And it in and of itself is what is accomplishing your purposes. And I thank you for that. Father, I pray that our churches will be full of people who believe in the power of Your Word alone. May we believe that it is enough. And we just stay there. And not worry about all the other stuff. The other things You're going to have us do. But may the root of all that goes on be the truth of Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.